What if you could have more fulfillment and ease in your professional and personal life and still be ambitious? Join me, Kathy Onetto, founder of Sustainable Ambition, for conversations with experts, authors, and friends on what it means to live with sustainable ambition. Learn concepts, tips, and tools to craft a fulfilling career on your terms while still being ambitious and avoiding burnout. For show notes from this episode, visit sustainableambition.com slash podcast. Now, let's learn more to help you craft your career to support your life from decade to decade. On to today's conversation. Welcome, everyone. I'm so excited to be joined by Megan Haggerty today. Megan is the founder of Connecting Dots Coaching and Consulting and is a Gallup Certified Strengths Coach. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that if you guys aren't familiar with what that is. Um, Megan has also had a successful career in the marketing world, a past career universe we both share. So we will also talk about that and hear a little bit more about Megan's journey. So welcome to the show, Megan. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to, to be here and be on this journey with you. Thank you. I'm thrilled as well. So I really appreciate that Megan has uh, taken the time to be with us today. So um, I'm really excited to also talk to you about strengths today, as well as hear more about your own career journey, as I mentioned. So when I think about sustainable ambition, a core aspect of right success, which is one of the pillars that I talk about as of sustainable ambition, is really aligning work to one's strengths. So I was wondering, how do you define strengths, Megan? Um, it's interesting because I have so many definitions floating around in my head, having kind of lived in this universe for a while now. But essentially how I see strengths are, um, are the areas that are going to push you forward. Um, it's not always necessarily the things that you do really well. Um, some things that you do well are just skills that you've learned. The things that are true strengths are, are, are things that you have a natural affinity towards, those things where you lose yourself and you really get into that flow state, um, and the things you want to do more of. Um, so I think really kind of focusing in on your strengths is really focusing in on the things that kind of bring you that fulfillment, um, as opposed to kind of focusing on the the things that are, are, are draining for you. Um, you know, there was a, so Don Clifton was the psychologist that um, created the assessment back in the nineties. But when he was studying psychology back in the 1950s, he recognized that everything that he was studying focused on the negative. And so there's a quote by him. Um, and he asked the question, what will happen when we focus on people's things that, um, Thing along the lines of what will happen when we stop fixating on what's wrong with people and we start focusing on what's right with them. So that's for me is really kind of what a strength is, is really focusing in on, on what is right with you. So from your perspective, what is the power when people switch from this focus on either developing, fixing their weaknesses, say, which we often hear at work, as opposed to really leaning into their strengths, as you just described, what's the impact of that, that you've experienced that people have either in their work life or even in their personal life? 
Yeah, when I was first introduced to uh, Clifton Strengths, it was because I heard something that just struck a chord, which was, you know, just because you were good at something didn't mean it was what you were meant to be doing. Um, and for a long time in my career, I felt I was like on a conveyor belt where I was just moving along and I was never fully satisfied, but I didn't really know what it was that would fulfill me. So I just kept going along next level, next level, next level. And then as soon as I started to lean more into the things that I, that came naturally to me, um, that I really enjoyed, that's really where the momentum in my career took off. Um, but when I was just trying to do the things that I thought I was supposed to be doing, it just, it, something just wasn't working. So really the power in that in le- is leaning in and it will just kind of build exponentially. So when you think about people that might have been experiencing exactly what you just described, you know, kind of going along with what they think they're supposed to be doing and perhaps not being aware that they should focus on strengths and or, you know, lean into those activities where they're in a flow state, like what advice would you give people, you know, at any stage of their career, if they're kind of feeling like they're on a conveyor belt, what, would, what might you say to kind of stop them and, and redirect them towards more fulfillment? Yeah, a lot of the work that I, I'm doing in the, the program um, that I'm doing right now, strengths mapping, has a lot to do with Yes, strengths and, and looking at Clifton strengths, but also focusing in on people's experiences and doing a little work to, you know, to spend a week or two weeks and just throughout your day, note when you just feel like you're completely in flow and you're really energized by what you're doing. But then also note those things that have the opposite effect on you, those things that you, you avoid doing or you're completely drain you. We're never going to find something where we can do only the things that bring us this flow state. It just is not, it's not sustainable um, to be able to do that. But we can definitely find a way where we can shift the balance more in that, um, that energetic, uh, positively energetic space than, than those things that are just not feeling right. So if you're in that space where you're like, I just don't know exactly what it is that I want to do. I just know I don't want to be doing what it is I'm doing. I suggest doing that exercise and that can really help you see Um, and then seek out those things that um, bring you more of that fulfillment and that flow. Yeah, that's great advice. Certainly paying attention. That's one of the things that I think about that people often are in kind of just a robotic kind of state and they're not uh, paying attention and aware of kind of how they're really feeling. And so like what you're just describing in terms of that exercise, really starting to be attuned to how you're feeling about the activities you're engaged in on a day-to-day basis sounds really positive and powerful. Yeah. And I think we, we find ourselves often in this kind of binary state where it's either this or that (laughs) it's either I have this job or I have no job and I'm down by the river in a van. Um, So it's when you start to ask questions and you start to notice things start to open up and things that you didn't even realize they could have been right in front of your face, but you didn't notice them because you weren't paying attention. So really it is that, that paying attention to open up the perspective a bit. Yeah, that's really great. I'm curious in terms of, um, I want to come back to your program as well, but I, I'm curious if you could tell us a little bit more about the Clifton Strengths assessment and 
how does that factor in or where does that come into play in terms of, uh, you know, the paying attention? Like it, it is an assessment and I, I know I've taken it and I love assessments. So, <laughs> um, but when do you suggest people uh, take an assessment like that and then how should they work with it? Yeah, I think the number one question that I've gotten and I've seen other people ask on forums that I've been involved in is, okay, so here are my top five strengths. What should I do? And um, what I always, what Gallup says and what I say is that um, your strengths are not about what you do. It's about how you are. So it's really showing you how you interact with the world. And regardless of what your strengths are, um, you can basically do any job. Um, there's no strength that cor- correlates with any particular job. Um, so I think where the assessment comes in is when you are at a spot where you're just trying to figure things out, the assessment can be really be a mirror back to you because often the, the strengths that are high up in our profile are things that are so ingrained and inherent in us that we don't see them. You know, that phrase, it's as plain as the nose on your face but you can't see your own nose. You would go cross-eyed trying to do it. Somebody has to, you know, you have to go in front of a mirror to really see it. So sometimes it's, it helps show you things that are there, but it really just brings them to light. Yeah, so that's interesting. I'm curious then, I was going to ask you about your six-week strengths mapping program. So I presume people start with doing the assessment because it's interesting what you're saying in terms of it's really about how you interact with the world. And I think that's, still a little bit different uh, than like how people often think about strengths, you know, like, well, I'm analytical or I'm a people person or, you know, so um, as opposed to it's a way of being. And I'm curious how those actually start to come to life and whether or not you do some of that work in your mapping program. Yeah. Um, I often, before I have people take the assessment, if they've never taken it before, um, do an onboarding before we even get into the six week program to, to talk through, um, things, you know, get a benchmark of where they're at. And then also to explain the assessment because it is a bit for someone who doesn't like assessments or tests, it can be a bit daunting because it is 177 questions, which sounds like a lot, but it goes fast and it's timed. So they give you about 20 seconds per question and there's two statements And then you pick between um, five options, you know, if something you feel much more strongly, you'll pick all the way on to the left, uh, you know, or over to, to, to one of them. Or if you feel equally amongst them, you can pick the middle ground, or you can kind of, if you feel slightly about one or the other, you can pick. The reason why they time it is they really want that intuitive answer because there really is no bad talents to have. Um, It's really just who you are. So they're really just trying to get that. So for people who are a bit uncomfortable with assessments, that can be jarring. So I like to kind of step people through what to expect. Um, then when we, um, our first week, our first coaching session, I've had them really sit with their report and get to know it and walk them through the different parts of it so they can really dive in. And when we have our first conversation, talk through any questions they might have, make any clarifications, um, or just kind of talk about things that came up. Then over the course of the, the rest of the six weeks, we, we keep in the language of strengths, but we also focus on two other pillars that I feel are unique to us, just as talents are. Um, so one is experiences, like I talked about. So that could be your past history, 
the present circumstances you find yourself in, or even that future vision of yourself that you see. And then also your relationships, the people who are in your life, but then also how you communicate with them and how you like to be communicated to. Um, And all three of those together, when you kind of, I think of it as an overlapping Venn diagram. So if you look at that center, it really is that regardless of what's going on in the world, and we all know 2020 brought us a ton of, of change, you can always go back to that center about who you are from a talent perspective, from an experience perspective, and then from a relationship perspective. And when you're applying those, are you applying those um, just to a professional setting or do you also see them having application to a personal setting? So I struggle with this one only because I don't see there being such a thing as a work-life balance. I feel like life is life. Yes, there's career and there's those more personal. Um, So I think all of that shows up. Who we are is who we are regardless. I think how I I do tend to focus more from a career perspective. Um, And I think what we find is sometimes we'll lean into different talents dependent on the role that we're playing. So, you know, who I am as a coach might be slightly nuanced to who I am as a sister or as a friend. Um, but as a whole, I'm, I'm Megan and I'm the combination of all my talents and my, my experiences. Yeah, I concur with you. I, I think this idea of either work-life balance or frankly, just there's work and there's personal life. You know, the reality is we're one person and one one of the things I think that's been beautiful about COVID, this is one of the silver linings, is actually being able to see people in their home environments because I think that's made that all the more real that, you know, uh, I was sharing with another guest that, you know, you're not a parent only at home. You're a parent at, when you walk in the door of work as well. So to imagine that you have to like put on this different persona just because you're in a work setting is is just not real. And so, yes, there are times for different things, but um, to imagine that really there isn't this true, first off, work-life integration that's real, but also you know, this idea of bringing your whole self to work and being that whole self and not having to shut a portion away uh, makes a lot of sense to me, at least. Yeah, I agree with um, what working from home and all of a sudden being in other people's living rooms and offices has done. I think, I've, you know, I've, I've seen a few articles that, that mention, you know, it's, it just brings a, more of a humanity to who someone is and you start to relate to them a little bit on a deeper level than if it was just, you know, someone behind the desk um, in an office environment. Right, exactly, yeah. So I'm curious, one of the things I wanted to ask you was around strengths or even perhaps the opposite of that, which is weaknesses. Like oftentimes, I know very early in my career, in one of the places that I worked, uh, there was an, it was an up or out kind of environment. And so, it was not uncommon that extremely successful people would leave conversations or be um, at the end of a performance review and still get a good review, but still feel really bad about themselves because it was like, okay, here's where you're excelling or, but here's where you really have a weakness. And because we want everyone to be good at this, this is what we want to see improved. I'm curious just around this topic, if there are any bad recommendations or advice that you often hear in this space? 
Well, I think the what the beauty of of Clifton Strengths does is it flips that typical performance model on its head. So typically what we're told is, all right, you know, we manage the strengths. Okay, you've got that. Let's focus here on all of the, the things that are wrong. And what strengths does is we're not, it's not about ignoring your weaknesses. It's about really redefining them and redefining your approach to them. So you'll focus on if you if you think about it, if you're not good at something and you just in, like singing for me, I can't sing. Nobody wants me to sing. No matter how much investment of practice, of energy, of time and effort I put into that, I will never be able to sing. Maybe I'll be able to maybe hold a tune, but I'll never be performing at the opera. It's similar with with strengths. Like there are just things that we're naturally good at and there's things that we're naturally not good at. Now, if you on the, you know, if we use singers, you take, let's take Beyonce and you give her even more effort and energy and practice because let's face it, she does. She'll just her her performance will skyrocket. So it's when you when you try to do what a lot of companies do, which is let's make sure everyone can do this thing like to a certain level, you're really putting a lot of pressure on people that maybe will never be able to reach that level. Whereas if you had them use, utilize their strengths, they might open up a whole new thing in your organization that wasn't even there before. Um, so I think a lot of times it's let people hone in on what they're naturally good at and they'll bring new ideas and innovation to the table. Um, and then for the things that they are not naturally um, good at, you can find ways to partner them with somebody who is or um, find strengths that they have that will allow them to get to the end result in the same way, in a, in a different way. Yeah, that's great. I'm curious, how do you, what advice do you give to people when you started talking about this, that our strengths aren't necessarily just the things that we're good at, right? They're the things that actually we, when we're in flow. But so what do you, advice do you give to people when they actually are utilizing something that they're like, I'm really good at it, but you know, I, and I'm using it a lot in my work and I enjoy it well enough, but I wouldn't say that I'm necessarily in flow. So how do you advise them to either shift some of their energy or what to do with that strength? So that actually, um, I want to answer first, because one of the things I, I forgot to mention is, is that redefining what a weakness is. So weakness doesn't mean, so there are 30 in Clifton Strengths land, there are 34 themes of talent. Um, just because something's at number 34 or number 33 doesn't necessarily mean it's a weakness. Your number one talent can be your weakness. A weakness is anything that gets in your way. So if you're using a talent unintentionally, or if you're overusing it, if you're underusing it, that can get in the way of your success. And therefore that can be seen as a weakness. I think where we try to manage are those things that we have less of an aptitude for, which are the, usually the ones lower down. Um, and so I just wanted to kind of reimagine what a weakness is in regards to kind of feeling like, okay, I'm really good at this, but I'm just not in flow. It could be that that's maybe something that's kind of middle of your, um, middle of your strengths profile. And it could be that there are, are like other nuances that you're just not um, 
maybe haven't been opened up to you or you're not able to access and therefore you're not really using it. And if you can find those areas and sometimes you do have to do that work of what it, where is that little like flash of light when I'm doing something um, to really hone in and find those a little bit more. Mm, Okay. That's great. Good advice for people to kind of, again, it's a paying attention thing. You know, one of these things is kind of like you do have to do the work. Sometimes I think people just assume that our work is going to be fulfilling no matter what. And, you know, there is some element of discovery and actually being active and participatory in that discovery to kind of really, like you said, hone in on where you want to, where you're going to find that fulfillment. Yeah. Um, I'm curious too, one of the things that has come up recently in conversations uh, with a few folks that I've been in talking with recently is this idea of, okay, I can actually get into flow, but sometimes I get into flow too much and I'm now working too much. And how do I balance, you know, when I'm passionate about something I'm working on at work and kind of almost cut myself off? I'm curious if you have any thoughts on when is it okay to pull yourself out of a flow state or when should you pull yourself out of a flow state? I think that's going to be dependent on the individual definitely, but I think there definitely can be those times where you, you have to do it because there is that point of diminishing returns. You know, after a while, even if you're still in flow, it's maybe just not coming as easily as it was and it's just requiring more energy and you'll end up you know, probably completely spent for a day or two afterwards. So you really do have to kind of um, know where your limits are. I know, um, you know, one of my, one of my talents is achiever. Um, And I know for a long time, I had been overusing it. And achiever is that talent that is we like checklists, and we like to do things and we keep going and there's really a drive Um, But it came at a point where that drive actually pushed away all of my other talents, um, which tend to lie in relationship building. And so I kind of pushed people away in an effort of just getting all the tasks on my list done. And that really led to burnout. So there is a real consequence, I think, to overusing something. And so a lot of times you look to other talents in your profile to either amplify a talent or sometimes to modify it, to taper it down, to make sure that you don't go into that overuse and overwhelm. Or you find a, a good partner um, that has a, a complementary talent that can help you in that. I love that advice essentially of leaning on your other strengths to support you in keeping you from getting a little bit to, um, to a point of potential burnout. So I love that yeah. as a piece of advice too. It's almost like you have everything you need for you to be successful in the way you want to be successful. You just have to tap into the different strengths that you can rely on for oneself. Yeah. And there's, and that's a, actually an important point that you bring up the, the need state, because we talk a lot about what our strengths bring and all of these great contributions. Um, I can do this. I can do this. We forget though that we need certain aspects or circumstances to be right in order for us to be doing that. And I think what happened, especially this year, is everything got turned up on its head and all of a sudden things that were working, no problem, were just not working anymore. And it could have been that we need, you know, certain people need to be 
in, in with other people and having conversations and being the life of the party. And then all of a sudden we're isolated at home and that need is no longer being met in the same way that it was. So there is actually a, um, a report that another Clifton Strengths uh, coach created called the Bring Need Report. And it's something that I use with, with all of my clients to help them see not just what their talents bring to the world, but also a reminder as to what circumstances they need to make sure are there so that they can bring those beautiful strengths. I wonder around that, the importance of the organization that one is working within and what advice you have for those as leaders themselves within organizations, managers, those functioning in an HR function or at a senior level within an organization, what should they be considering or thinking about implementing within their organizations that would consider both strengths and exactly what you just described, which is needs, because it puts it on the onus of the individual, which I think is usually the case, frankly, when it comes to any of our careers, we all have to take responsibility for our careers. But you also, it's, it is helpful when you're in an environment with, that is receptive to these ideas and concepts. So I'm curious if you have any advice for those in leadership positions to consider these factors. Yeah, well, Gallup does have a lot of great um, resources for organizations um, at that like level. And one of their latest books called It's the Manager, um, I highly recommend to anyone in HR. And essentially it takes into account, Gallup has created, it's called the Q12. So it's 12 questions that companies can ask of their employees. And yes, it's about that, you know, um, ambiguous word uh, engagement, but they ask very specific questions, things like, yes, I feel like my manager knows what, you know, uh, cares about me, or yes, I have a best friend at work. And indicators of people who are um, really actively engaged because what they found is when people are have managers that focus in on their strengths obviously their engagement and their performance will go through the roof people who have managers that focus on kind of their weaknesses will also ha still have some level of engagement it's actually when managers have like aren't paying attention at all and somebody feels that there no one cares they actually become actively disengaged so they will actively work against the needs of the organization. So what this, um, this book and then the, the, the 12 questions really show is how you can make sure and what, can, what you can enact in your organization to make sure employees feel engaged and they feel cared for. And why it's called It's the Manager is because what they found is it's not leadership and it's not, you know, the independent contractors. It really is those managers that are, are both trying to do the job, but also to guide a team. And they really have a huge impact and influence in organizations. Yeah, so interesting. It's a, it's a lot of responsibility at that yes. level. And a lot of people get put into those positions with not enough training and not enough support. So that's really really interesting. And what I hear you describing is kind of when you don't have that right, you, it's like an organization is has a drag on it. You know, it's like you're pulling this anchor behind you while you're trying to move an organization forward. So it just says the importance of this work and 
really shifting focus in terms of ensuring your employees are engaged. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, switching gears a little bit, one of the things I wanted to ask you was about one of your beliefs. Um, mm -hmm. It's interesting, we both have a marketing background and brands are told all the time, uh, think about what makes you different. Yet as people and in society, you know, they ask us to conform, not be different. Mm -hmm. And internally within organizations, we don't typically know how to deal with and even foster what I would call mavericks, you know, those who are more independent minded and buck the norm. And one of your beliefs is we should capitalize on what makes us unique, not minimize what makes us different. And I would love to hear just more about that and where that belief comes from for you. Um, well, that belief and the other beliefs that I have on my LinkedIn profile right now all come from language that I have amassed from Clifton Strengths. Um, that one in particular, I believe, comes from my individualization talent, which is at number four, which is the desire and the recognition, you know, that everyone is different and therefore everyone needs to be treated differently. Um, and I think when we allow that other people have talents that are not ours, but that can be, we can work together. I think, you know, the, the potential is staggering. Um, I do believe that what you said earlier that, you know, it's all about let's be different, but wait, everyone go into your box and everyone be, it, it, it's this weird thing is that we all want to kind of be known for something but then as soon as a light gets sh shown on us, a lot of us are like, wait a minute, no, I don't want to stand out. I, I, you know, I, want, I don't want to feel different. Um, so there is this weird dichotomy between wanting to be different, but then also not wanting to, be, wanting to be seen as everybody else. So I think it really is important to recognize people for the talents and the strengths that they bring and they have. Um, and allow. I think when you start to understand the talents and strengths that you have, you start to then recognize the talents and strengths in others. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, that's great. Um, thank you for giving more color to that and kind of sharing that. Um, I'm curious now around your own career. Uh, you have an interesting career progression as mm -hmm. well. And I'm curious if you could share a little bit more about how you've navigated through different stages of your career. Yeah. I mean, I said before that in some points in my career, it did feel a bit like I was on a conveyor belt, um, that I didn't have a choice. But when I actually look back, um, I see that I did make slight choices throughout my career. Um, so I, one of my first jobs out of college was working for a large advertising agency, and I started in more of an administrative role. And I then progressed into account management or client service. And I moved into uh, project management, which is more internal and back into account management. And along the way, I would also shift to different departments and different accounts. because, And it, it really fueled me to constantly be learning to be a part of a new team or to be learning about a new client. Um, and now that I, you know, it's that hindsight of, okay, I can look back and see that's my learner my number two, that my desire to constantly be learning new things. And, you know, a lot of my talents around building relationships was about the people that I was working with. Um, so while 
yes, I was in some ways along the conveyor belt in terms of job title. I think there were shifts that I was trying to lean into things that felt right for me throughout um, throughout my career. And what brought you to strengths work at the time that it did? So I've actually, I'll use the phrase bumped into strengths three times. It took three times before, you know, I fully immersed myself. Uh, the first time was in 2009 and I was in a role that I was really good at and people wanted me on their team, but I was just not happy. It was one of those things when I became, when I started to realize that just because I'm good at something doesn't mean it's what I'm meant to be doing. And then, you know, I took the assessment. Um, I found the the results really inspiring um, and interesting, but then like many, I didn't know that there was all of these other resources to tap into. So kind of went in the drawer, forgot about it. And then I came across when I was reading uh, Jenny Blake's book, she referenced Clifton Strengths. And I was like, yeah, I remember taking that. So I ended up taking the assessment um, again because I had a lot of things happen in my life. And again, you know, found it really interesting, dug a little bit deeper. But it wasn't until the end of 2018 when I had taken a sabbatical that ended up being longer than expected um, from working. And I was trying to figure out what it was that I was meant to be doing because I just knew the career I had was wonderful, but it wasn't what I was meant to be doing right now. And um, I came across it again and I just went all in and I just started diving in. And what it really helped me see was, you know, where, you know, the trajectory of my life and my career was, um, was taking me. And, you know, really brought into light how I love working with people and helping people to develop and really getting to know people on a a deeper level. Um, And I just wanted to share that with with others because, you know, I was saying before we hit record, I think we build the thing that we wish we had had 10 or 20 years ago. And that's exactly like I wish, you know, when I had originally taken the assessment back in 2009 that I had known that there was even such a thing as coaches um, that could walk you through and help you because I think that would have helped me make different um, decisions and more intentional decisions to uh, further my my career, but really further my happiness. And based on your experiencing that, is there a key lesson you would share with listeners in terms of just your own journey and that kind of finding your way to this new path that is kind of a key lesson? I think that it's never too late. Um, You know, yes, would have been great if I had had more of this information back in 2009, but I also am not sure that that would have been the right time. I would have been the right time for me to accept it. Um, I think I, it, it happened. at a point in my life where it made sense for me to move forward with this. Whereas I wouldn't have been able to do what I'm doing five or 10 years ago. So is it kind of, is there a little bit of just being patient around this too, in terms of finding one's path? Yes. Although if somebody had told me that 10 years ago, I would have been really frustrated. Um, I think it's a bit of life, let life unfold. Um, But, you know, like I said before, really pay, you know, it's, it's about paying attention and leaning in. And even if you make 
you know, the slightest shift, you know, there's, I think there's a, a saying that if a boat changes its direction by just a degree or two degrees, it will end up in a completely different place over, over time. So it's really, you have to, you know, yeah, one step at a time, I guess. Yes. And I love that. I, I concur with the advice of just pay attention um, and be aware of yourself. So mm-hmm. wonderful. Well, I'd love to transition to closing with some rapid fire questions sure. that I'll kind of throw out to you. And um, the first one is, how do you define success for yourself? Um, I think for me, success is less about um, a monetary value or a status. And it's much more about, you know, how I feel at the end of each day um, and how I, you know, the excitement that I, I wake up with in the morning. I love that. Um, what is the best career advice you've ever received? Hmm. That's interesting. Um, I've been fortunate enough to have quite a few people along my journey that saw in me, I think, more than I saw myself. And so, you know, I have had mentors along the way that actively engaged my talents and strengths, you know, without even knowing Clifton strengths, but just put me in positions that allowed me to really shine. So I think not necessarily advice more so, um, almost as if, you know, being pushed in the deep, deep end when I didn't think I could swim. Yeah. So people who believed in you yeah, and saw your talents. That's great. What advice would you give your 20 year old self? <laughs> Get more sleep. Um, <laughs> I think just to, to pay attention, honestly, to like, to, you know, not get so caught up in the day-to-day that you lose track of the bigger picture. Um, I spent a lot of nights, you know, in my 20s and my 30s working until 10, 11 o'clock at night in the office. And at the end of the day, you probably would have gotten even more done if I had just gone home and then come back the next day fresh. Yeah. So what's the headline there in that, in that re in terms of advice there? I think it's, yeah, I think it's don't, don't take it too seriously unless you're in a serious possession, you know, profession, you know, um, we put so much pressure on ourselves, um, and unnecessarily and, at least in my case, I know the pressure was often internal. Um, and it was a, uh, a need to like expectations that I had that I thought others had for me. And at the end of the day, probably didn't. <laughs> Got it. Understood. Great. How do you like to take a break or pause? Um, my favorite thing that I have learned to do, especially now that we are kind of inside all the time is really just going for a walk. Uh, I live about half a mile from the East river in Manhattan. So I'll walk over. Um, it'll be the same path, but just there's something about getting out for 45 minutes to an hour and just walking, listening to a podcast or an audio book that just opens my mind and, and puts me at ease. What's your best time saving or productivity tip? Hmm. 
read the book Start Finishing by Charlie Gilkey. Um, he has a great uh, methodology of, of how to help schedule your days. That's not all about just calendar management or time management. There's really a philosophy and it's really about um, the internal dialogue as much as it is about managing your calendar. Uh, very interesting. We'll capture that in the show notes for everyone. Um, what's one thing you can't live without? Um, there's, there's certain things that will just always be in my life. Um, and I think the things that um, are personal and special were given or made, to, made for me by people who are no longer here. Mm, yeah, special. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, Megan, this has been a fabulous conversation. Thank you so much. I just have two final questions for you sure. um, as we wrap up. Just what's one final piece of advice you'd leave our listeners with? Um, I mean, I think if you haven't already, take the Clifton Strengths Assessment. Um, I, I say that not, you know, because I'm a coach. I say it because it really has had probably the biggest impact on my life and my career. And I think we often discount what our talents are. And this has an amazing way of really kind of shining a light on what your, your true talents and strengths can be. Yeah, that's great. I highly recommend the assessment as well and supporting it with the work that Megan does as well to really dig in and learn more and kind of avoid it kind of going in the in the drawer, right? And actually yes. knowing how to activate it. So that's great. Um, what can we do for you and where can people find you? Yep. Um, my website will be up in the next week or two. It'll be meganhaggerty.com. Um, and I will also be active on LinkedIn and Instagram. Um, so as those channels, um, get uh, content on them, I will be sure to share them with you so you can put them in the show notes. That sounds great. Yes. And I will capture all of that in the show notes for people. And thank you again for being with me today. This has been a fabulous conversation. I know I've learned a lot more about strengths and some things that I didn't know, you know, in terms of reframing weaknesses and how to think about some of those. So I really appreciate you sharing your wisdom with us today. Well, thank you so much for, for having me. It was a real pleasure to, to talk with you. And I'm so excited to see um, more about sustainable ambition. That's great. Thanks so much, Megan. All right. We'll see everyone next time. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sustainable Ambition Podcast. I hope you take away at least one learning or inspiration from today's conversation. Find more inspiring interviews and get show notes for this episode at sustainableambition.com slash podcast. Make sure you don't miss an episode or my insider tips, guides, and tools by signing up for Sustainable Ambition Forum, my twice monthly newsletter. Sign up at sustainableambition.com slash subscribe. And remember, it's not about finding work-life balance. It's about building work-life resilience. Thanks again for joining me. Speak with you next time.